really do love how young I look in that picture. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, hello and welcome to Morning Energy Live, uh, the monthly webinar series where we tackle today's most relevant energy issues. I'm your host, Andrew Gillick. Uh, with me today is Billy Quinn, founder of private equity firm Pearl Energy. When I asked clients who they wanted to hear from in the energy private equity world, it didn't take long for consensus to form around Mr. Quinn. I said, what about Ken Hirsch? They said, Ken who? Yeah. Anyway, Billy, thanks so much for being here today. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. You said that I didn't. I did. I did. Um, it's a good I, friend I, and close partner of mine. The, right, the writers put it in there. I don't know. I don't know what they. Uh, yeah, what they were doing. I know. <laughs> um, so lots of great stuff to talk uh, talk about today. Um, you know, we'll do a little look back over the, the last few cycles and talk about some lessons learned. Discuss the state of the energy P market today. Maybe the state of the M and A market. A little bit of news out. Um, and then, uh, and then what the future holds. But, but before we can be begin, for those of you uh, out there who might only know some of your recent exploits, maybe you give the viewers a little bit of a, a little bit about your background. I think, uh, I think your career arc will help illustrate some of the cycles we've been through and give us a framework as how to think about the future. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give you that in, in two parts today. I'd say the first part is the boring part. And that, you know, I've spent the, the better part of my career really in two jobs. I got out of college. I was in investment banking for about two and a half years. And, and then I was with NGP as a managing partner there for the better part of 20 years. Um, and then shortly after leaving there, I thrown Pearl. So I've, you know, for all intents and purposes over the last 30 years, uh, you know, worked at two places at, at NGP and Pearl. So, um, you know, when people, you know, say, what, what's your background in bio? What firms you've been with? It's, it's pretty boring. But in that 30 years, and investing in this business is, is never boring. And I was, you know, thinking through, you know, the cycles that, that we've been through. And, you know, we talk a lot with, with RLPs that when you look over the last six to eight years, it feels like there's been six to eight cycles. But since I started investing in this business, really the first four years were, were boring kind of late 94 to, to mid 98 were kind of steady as she goes. The business had come out of the doldrums and it was, it was a good time. But then in 98, we had the Asian financial crisis, you know, Russia, the ruble collapsed, long-term capital uh, management collapsed and oil prices collapsed. And, you know, I was reflecting on, you know, March of 99 when the economists came out and said, the world is awash in oil and we will have $5 oil forever. Um, they were, they were a little off. Yeah. Touch um, off and well. a touch off. And then, you know, we recovered in 2000, 2001. So we got two good years, right? We're coming back. We're bouncing back yeah. off of basically single digit oil. And, um, and then we have nine 11 and Enron collapses. So we, we go into a, you know, a couple of years of the doldrums again before, you know, we get to Oh three Oh four. And then it's, I look at oh, kind of oh three to oh eight. You know, those were the the go go days. I mean, you investing capital in the business seemed easy then, right? You had low interest rates. Everybody wanted um, to buy hydrocarbons. Um, the MLPs had come back, and every whether you were an EMP or a midstream, you wanted to get your hands on the MLP vehicle. You know, it was a it was a good time to to be in the oil and gas business and the midstream business until, as we all know, the financial crisis hit, which knocked right. us down for a couple of years. Um, then we had the shale revolution that that took us into 
you know, 2014, 2015, before prices collapsed. And then, um, and then it's been, a, as, as we all know, what we've been living over the last eight years, it's been, it's been a bit of a bouncy ride. Um, just when we thought things were coming back, um, late 19, early 20, we have a global pandemic. <laughs> we have, been, we have negative. I thought I'd seen it. bumpy to thought, say the least. <laughs> I, 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 I thought I'd seen, I thought I'd seen it all, but I, but negative, you know, negative oil, that, that was, that was the first, uh, for me and for, for everyone. I remember watching the screen that day. It's like, can can it go below zero? Someone have to pay me to take it? Fill up the swimming pool? I don't know. What's the plan? It was it was a little strange. Yeah, crazy time. Um, but that's this business, right? I mean, I think yeah, that's yeah. That's that is this business. Well, well, thanks for that. So, yeah, I mean, uh, as before, we kind of get into today. Is is there anything that any lessons learned from the last cycle or other cycles or uh, reasons why you were able to avoid some pitfalls that other investors have fallen into? that we should sort of think about? Yeah. I, I mean, I think after kind of what we just talked about, whether you're talking the last eight years, the last three or four years, or the last you know 30 years, in my case, is if you said, what's what's the key to this business and investing in this business? You know, to me, the key is duration. Um, you can't, if, if you're out there buying options and short dated options, um, it, it's, it's a very tricky business. And you can look smart every now and again, but you can also you can get burned really quickly. And when when I say short duration, that starts with high leverage, right? If you have a ton of leverage on your balance sheet, we've all learned in this business this this business does not work with a lot of leverage. Um, not if you want to stay in it for a while. Not for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then and then you know more basic strategies. We were never big on the lease and drill side. Um, and we, we weren't big there because our analysis was, well, wait a minute, but you're basically buying a short dated option. And there are so many external variables that we don't control that can turn that option into a worthless option. Um, and so you bet, I think when you, when you look at business strategies and how we've, we've, we've in, invested our capital over the last, and Pearl in particular, since 2015, We've done that with that in mind. That you know, our our job, bottom line, is to work with great management teams to build great businesses that can stand that can stand the test of time. Uh, and it's it's making the right decision every day and and not getting you know too far ahead of ourselves and and making sure that we have duration with everything that we do. And so when times are good, great. But we're preparing for when times are going to be bad again because we know they will. Um, and then when they are, we'll we'll be in a position where we're not fighting for survival. We're 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 making tough decisions. We all have to do it when times get tough, but we can also be opportunistic and you know and take the next step in building you know in building great businesses during those times. Absolutely, and and you say duration that that seems to be the the key talking point for a lot of operators today. Um, one particular we can touch on in a minute, um, but yeah, let's let's talk about the current traditional energy landscape. Um, it feels like it'd be weird if we didn't talk about, you know, Exxon and, and Pioneer. Um, so maybe you could touch on that, share your thoughts, and then talk about a little bit where you see opportunities for Pearl and, and what you're staying away from. So yeah, let's start with uh, yeah, well, that, that little well, deal. Well, that news, little I deal. Think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Today's news. I think we all saw it coming. Um, you know, my from my vantage point, it's I understand why Exxon wants to do it. I, I think it's a it's the right decision for them. I'm not sure why 
why Pioneer wants to do it. I mean, there are arguments for and arguments against, and I think it's less obvious to everybody why. Um, it's, but but I'm not saying they're wrong for doing it. It's just it's less obvious why. Um, selfishly, I think something like this is is great for Pearl. Is great for what we do on on a handful of fronts. Um, you know, obviously, um, I need to be careful about what I say, but you know, we're the largest shareholder of what is now the will be the second largest Permian pure play publicly traded company. So, you know, it's it's obviously interesting from that angle. Um, and then the other thing for for our funds and deploying new capital, whenever you see, and and this is over my entire career investing, whenever you see large consolidation like this, it's generally followed by divestitures and 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 what i mean by that is th there's going to be something exxon buys from pioneer they're going to want to keep 80 to 90 maybe 95 percent of what they buy but it's a huge deal if they sell five percent of that portfolio sure you know, it's billions of dollars of of assets that could hit the market in the coming years or something else in their portfolio now that yeah. that becomes less relevant to them you know post this deal so i think whenever you see large merger activity it takes a little time, but it generally leads to additional divestiture activity on the backside of those mergers, which is, is generally good for private equity. Do you think that this deal puts pressure on some of the other majors or, or large independents to sort of chase inventory uh, and also bulk up in this way? Or this is not necessarily I, catalyst for that? Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's a tough question to answer. I'm not sure this deal alone puts any additional pressure on on any of the other um, you know larger players I think the inventory levels themselves put pressure on people I think everyone sure. has to you know they have to look at they have to get up every day look in the mirror inside of their companies and say what you know how long can we keep doing what we're doing how long do we have this quality of inventory for and what are we going to do to resolve that issue over the long term? So I think this transaction highlights that and highlights that issue in the business. I'm not sure it makes, you know, any of the handful of names out there who might be the next acquirer. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it actually pushes them to do something immediately, but it, it clearly brings the issue even more, even more so to the forefront. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've probably read every news article out there today on on the deal, and um, I agree with you. It makes a ton of sense for for Exxon to, um, you know, in, increase their short cycle exposure. I think it was I was most amused by uh, article in the New York Times that said, "Oh, Exxon doubling down on sh uh, hydrocarbons." Like to me, it's they're they're doubling down on short cycle inventory that they can turn on and off when they need to, based on you know the market conditions, rather than you know tens of billions of dollar offshore deep water unknown. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think it makes a lot of sense. And it, to, to me, and if, and if that, if that's true, it should make sense to other large operators to continue the consolidation to, you know, be able to manage that. And you take a lot of GNA out of the, you know, the, the system and it should be good sort of across the board it, for investors and operators. It, exactly. And for them, when you, when you think about places you want to do business, um, from from a number of perspectives, it's it's much easier to do business in you know in West Texas than it is than it is offshore, and it, and in other <laughs> yes. and in other countries, for sure, for sure. Um, 
All right, so so that that's sort of thoughts on the deal and how that deal might create opportunities for Pearl. Are there other opportunities you see for a firm like uh, Pearl out there today? Yeah, I mean we're seeing a lot. I mean the, I think the the property market feels pretty good where it sits today. It's a it's a healthy you know A and D market, and you know obviously that's you know that's where our business starts is being able to find interesting things to buy where our companies can add value to the assets they're buying. Um, and so I think we're, you know, we're actively looking at that. I think, you know, the one thing where the business is today, you know, which we touched on all the cycles we've been through over 30 years, you know, the one thing I didn't hit on is, is where we are today actually feels like the first time in my career where there, there's the right balance where the fundamentals are, are really good in the business and people are disciplined in how they're spending capital while there's also not this huge influx of of capital coming into the system forcing people to do things that aren't economically rational um you know we saw what happened in the shale boom when you had people pushing equity dollars into the system and in on a large scale for growth and growth purposes only it, it may have been rational why the people were deploying that capital but it wasn't economically rational right at at, at the asset level um, and so I think today it's a healthy balance. There's not a lot of capital out there. I mean, there's there's enough. I think there's enough for the business to execute. Um, but having having good balanced, disciplined capital and not a lot of it creates a good buying opportunity. So, you know, we feel like we're able to buy things at attractive prices um, and and get our hands on assets we like. And you know, we closed the deal last week, um, a good sized deal in one of our companies. And it's just it. It feels good. It feels like the right time uh, to be investing money. You know, the flip of that is, I think you have to manage your expectations on the exit. You know, I was I spoke at a conference last week, and I was a bit misquoted saying, "Yeah, you just need to be prepared to, you know, sell cheap and not make a lot of money." I I didn't say the not make a lot of money part. I think when you <laughs> when you look to exit, you know, when you look to exit, I think you, the expectation should be, "Hey, things don't trade for in the private markets at." five, six, seven times cash flow anymore. You, depending on where you are, because geography does matter, if you're selling something between two and a half and four and a half times cash flow, that can be acceptable. And you can make money in those at that level. If you're buying right and doing the right things operationally with the assets, you just just don't expect to get, you know, a a big multiple to cash flow on on your exit. And that that balance feels good to me from a from an investment perspective. Sure, and and so as, as you talk about not um, not a ton of capital coming to the space like we had during the Shell re Revolution, that sort of makes me uh, want to talk to you about fundraising. Uh, I know you just uh, closed your third fund, right? Um, yes, fund three. Um, Thank and you. tell us a little bit about what that fundraising market is like right now. We we've heard it's been challenging, especially the last couple of years with you know ESG mantra and whatnot, um, but. But where where what's the state of the market today? Well, yeah, and I'll let me let me touch on when we launched our fund um, for our fund three, we accidentally clearly wasn't on purpose. We launched the fundraise literally into when the eye wall of the Cat Five hurricane was <laughs> was making landfall. I mean, I think I think the the week week or two after we launched is when Harvard came out going no fossil fuel investing and you know basically threw that out there and which made which made fundraising incredibly difficult because 
most people at that time did not have uh, hard, no fossil fuel investing mandates, but it basically forced everybody to put a pause on what they were doing and at a minimum rethink what's going on. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you two, two perspectives. Going back two years ago was probably the worst it had been ever in my career. And, and even looking back on where we are today, it didn't get, it didn't get worse from there. It just over, over a 12 month period, it was, it was next to impossible um, because of that. Now, I, you know, I think a couple of things have changed in the business. It's, it, let's start with it's still not easy to raise money. You know, private equity capital in the energy business, in particular on, on the oil and gas upstream side, is extremely difficult to raise. Um, and a lot of that today, it's still the, the ESG component. And people either with hard no fossil fuel mandates or still rethinking and revisiting I think the you know those headwinds I talked about two years ago have lightened up and and it's lightened up on the private side for a few reasons. Um, I think first and foremost, um, it's easy to talk about not investing in fossil fuels. It's it's actually hard to do when the business performs like it has over the last two years. Sure. And so if you haven't had that in your portfolio, you're you've underperformed. Over the, relative to your peers, and you know anybody in the investment business knows that you—that's the last thing you want to do. You don't want to underperform relative to your peers because that's when you go out of business real quick, or you lose your job. Um, so I think there are a lot of people who are revisiting, you know, where they stand on this be, because of that um, and that alone. And so there's a lot more dialogue. I think there's more capital out there um, combined with, uh, you know, private equity's done a really good job over the last couple of years of generating some exits, generating liquidity, getting more dollars back to the limited partner universe. And because of that, it's freed up some capital as well. So, but by no means is it easy. I mean, it is, it is a challenge out there and um, you know, I don't see it getting, you know, any easier from where it sits today you know, down the road, it'll, it'll only be, be like this and possibly get tougher over time. Do, do you feel like that, that need to either chase performance or perform as well of your, as well as your peers is taking some of that cohort that was sort of wavering on the fence, wavering to never investing in fossil fuels now sort of like, well, I like my job yeah. and, and yeah. thinking about it's like, is that going to be a shift? We I, see? I, I think you're seeing that shift now. Yeah, and I think right. you're going to see over the next twelve to twenty-four months, you'll see a little more of that shift coming as well. So just uh, and and it just depends on how convicted the institution is to to stay away from fossil fuel investing. If you have, I mean, there are a lot of institutions out there that don't have a high conviction to staying away from it. They just they just put it on pause and and put it on pause to evaluate, assess, and think about where they wanted you know, fossil fuel investing to play a role in their portfolio. I think for, for that group, you're going to get mixed answers. There are going to be some that say, no, we want to be back in it and invest. And there'll be others who, who opt out. I think the ones that have hard, no fossil fuel investing mandates now, yeah. it's really, it's really hard to, to alter that course, at least over a three, four, five year period, maybe over a 10 to 15 year period. Um, as organizations change, that could happen, but that's, I mean, that's, that's for us, that's so far dated. Who knows? It's anybody's um, guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I, mean, I guess when we think about um, capital raising, one of the topics that 
you know, when you said two years ago it was the worst ever, like ESG was, you know, every front page of everybody's investor deck because it had to be. Um, and so, you know, it, it's hard not to talk about ESG and E in particular uh, when, when, when you talk about fundraising. So how do you think the industry is doing uh, on this front as a whole? Or like what grade would you give the industry today on, on E in particular? And um, follow up, like what is Pearl doing specifically? Uh, like with the with the port, on the portco side to address investor concerns. That's yeah, exists. I mean that's, that that's yeah, that's a good question. I mean the, the first part, you know, I I think on balance the industry is doing an an A minus job um, on 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 the environmental side. I think the industry is doing a great job. I mean we we it's it's front and center, and I think now if you don't do a good job on that side, you're out of the business. Right. You know, there's enough investor pressure on all fronts that if you're not doing a good job, you, you won't stay in business very long. You know, the, the, the counter to that, and I think just everybody needs to appreciate is, look, people, people, we as a human race are dirty. Right. We we cre <laughs> we create waste in all sorts of forms. And and, you know, we're not we're the problem. It's not the wells. Right. The, the oil and gas business is a byproduct of what we do and what we consume as as humans and it just it's it's a dirty business and it's a hard business you know wh whether it's oil and gas or mining um or or other industrial processes i mean there it's a hard business and to to revolutionize and 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 change and go from where we were 20 years ago to where we are today and have that happen overnight and that rate of change is difficult i i think there's a lot we can do. There's a lot we can improve, and and we get better every day. But they're going to be fits and starts, right? I mean, we see things going on. There was a article last week on you know on Bloomberg about you know increased slightly uptick in gas flared out in the Permian over the last year. Well, we've done a great job over the last four or five years of dramatically reducing that. And given where prices are, you know, there's this healthy tension. People are saying prices are high. Can we can we increase supply? How, can we drill more wells and 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 help put put a buffer on price? Well, to do that, it's not just drilling more wells. The infrastructure has to be in place to do that. And yeah. people don't build infrastructure um, to support growth down the road overnight. They want to see that it's there, that the growth is real, that there's an economic return to building that infrastructure. And so you just have it's it's natural whether it's oil and gas mining you know the the power generation business there there are fits and starts on you know on multiple legs of the stool whether it's production transportation processing you, you name it it's just these are hard businesses and they're not easy just to just to flip a switch and everything gets fixed overnight it just takes time yeah for sure and so how is, how is Pearl thinking about this? Uh, one, from the standpoint of an exit for a company that you have, and two, just from you know steward of the environment uh, standpoint. Yeah, I, I mean, there's 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 several prongs. I, I I would start with at the base level, and this is going back to you know my early days at at NGP. You know, we were always really careful, really particular in managing the environmental side of the business. And, you know, what we've been telling LPs, you know, going back to the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, so this is 20, 25 years, is we're building companies to sell to much larger companies. 
And those companies don't want to step into an environmental liability. They don't want to step into a lawsuit. They don't want to step into a problem. And so our job is to make the asset as clean as possible. And so I, from, from, the, from the environmental side, we have been very careful, and I think all private equity has, you know, very careful on, on how we build companies and how we treat the environment for a long period of time now. Now, the reporting 20 years ago wasn't like it is today. No, and, no. And, and part of that was we couldn't report things then that we do today. Um, and then the other part, and this is very fair, is we didn't have the pressure to report it, right? Now we have right, right, right. Our RLPs, RLPs have asks out of us that we didn't have 15, 20 years ago. And so because of that, you know, we, we have to deliver on that. So when you say particular today, what is Pearl doing? Look, we're, we're always there in front and center and every board deck is ESG and HS and a, and what are we doing right on all of those fronts to make sure that we're, you know, we're the best as, as we can be. Um, and then we've got to report that to our LPs. And, you know, we have people, you know, we have people internally who have petroleum engineering degrees who make, you know, random field trips to portfolio companies, offices, and they go out in the field and check and sure. and spot check. It's not, now it's not tedious, you know, we're not experts by that, but we, but we do it. And I can tell you 20 years ago, we didn't do it. Got it. Um, no, that, that makes sense. And that sounds good. And, and to your point about the industry, I think the industry has been doing it tremendous job just sort of taking care of uh, things on that front. Um, pivoting only a little bit, I, I spent about two weeks out in California this summer, and uh, you may ask, what were you doing I'm in California, sorry. Andrew? How could you have I'm any sorry. clients out there? Why they don't invest in oil and gas? Well, that is true. We, we, we also do have a power and renewable business uh, here at Inveris. Um, and, and just trying to understand what that future of energy investing looks like, because as I learned and sort of knew, but it was it was hammered home, there's hundreds of billions of dollars chasing energy transition investment. And, and some of it is adjacent to traditional energy and some of it is not adjacent to traditional energy. A lot of great, a lot of great venture ideas out there in, in Silicon Valley. Um, but, but so as you think about the new energy economy and, and some of the pressures that you know, investors have brought on the traditional energy space, where do you see the opportunity uh, in, in the space going forward? Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a good question. It's a loaded question, right? Of course. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, if you want to say natural gas, that's cool. Natural gas is a. Well, so, so I'll, I'll start with, I'll, I'll start with maybe the most provocative statement in that, you know, I, I don't believe in the energy transition. And I think, I think it's, I think it starts with one, we need everything. And and so we need wind, we need solar, we need hydro, we need oil, we need gas. And and the second part is, what are we transitioning to? <laughs> right? I look yeah. and say, you know, if if a if a a major league baseball team says they're in transition mode, it means we're getting rid of old higher higher cost players and we're going young, but we have this great talent in our farm system and. And and we know where we're going. We see where the future is. You know, we we talk about energy transition, and it's it's based on hope that there's a technological innovation that changes the way we do things. Which to me, it's it's you say it all the time in business. You know, hope isn't a business plan, 
Hope is not a strategy. Right. So, yeah, exactly. so when we so when we talk energy transition, I have I have a very difficult time with the the topic because the word transition is okay. Well, what are we transitioning to? And nobody seems to have an answer. Um, but that's not to say we don't need everything. We we do right. need everything. Um, you know, what's going on? We consume more every day. Um, and so and so we need everything. So I think our you know when we look at you know how do we play a role there. Uh, the first thing I'd say first and foremost is, you know, our investors invest with us to generate returns, right? If we don't generate returns, they're not investing with us. We're out of business. So we've got to generate returns. So everything in our portfolio, whether it's oil and gas, midstream service, energy and energy transition opportunity, everything is vetted on a risk reward basis and what is going to generate the highest return for taking the least amount of risk. I mean, it's it's, it's really that simple. Yeah. Um, and, and it sounds simple to do, but in practice, a lot of people don't do it. Um, That's right. I, they, they don't. And so, and so for us, we look and we look and say, okay, where, you know, what makes sense? What fundamentally makes sense? Where can we generate returns? And the one thing we've done, which we're, where we thought we, we could generate returns for our partners um, and, and play a role in that and in a particular area where we think could actually make a long-term difference is we have a sustainability spec. So we raised okay. Spring Valley one um, and and we de-spec that into to new scale, which is a small mod modular reactor, nuclear reactor company. They're the only one with US NRC approval, um, real contracts, a real business. And you know, we look at nuclear as you know, that's arguably a transitional energy generator your nuclear because it's base load you can do it on on with the smrs on smaller scale but also larger scale if you look at how you know how china's developing its economy nuclear is a big part of it you know and and even the europeans who have who had backed off for a while have are now re-engaging on the on the nuclear side realizing it is a clean base load source of energy so when we see things that make sense like that um, that's where we'll stick our nose in and see if we can't you know, generate interesting investment opportunities. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, call it a nuclear renaissance, call it whatever you want. It, it seems that that area of power gen is, is getting a lot more attention. Um, especially if these small modular reactors are, are going to be able to go behind the meter at some large organizations and be able to power all this, uh, demand that we have for AI and, you know, other, other tech, uh, things. So anyway, no, that, that's, that's definitely very exciting. I mean, we, we got, we could probably go on for another half hour, but it seems like we've, we've come up at our, our time here. I, I really appreciate you uh, joining me here today. It was a great conversation and um, you know, look forward to staying in touch. Great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate thanks, it. Really, and thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, look forward to seeing you next month uh, on Morning Energy Live. Take care.